to Mindful Conversations with Matt and Dr. Rob Cook. Yes, I'm Rob. Hey, guess what? What? We have another doctor at the table. I'm getting outnumbered. (laughs) And she's a good doctor, too. Well, we are very excited about our conversation today, talking about digital dilemmas. Wow. Digital dilemmas. What is that? We're going to talk about that. Oh, good. So um, why don't you introduce our special guest? We have Dr. Sandy Wiederhold with us. She's a pediatrician and a professor at the um, Western Michigan School of Medicine. Yes. Did I get that right? You got it right. Nice. She, according to Dr. Rob, she is the best doctor he's ever known. The best pediatrician I've ever worked with. Yeah. Yeah, so this relationship has been around for a while. You here as the executive director of the Response Care Center, super smart, <laughs> super important. You gather a lot of smart people around you, right? That's what I do. Sounds like Sandy's smarter woman. than I am. Yes. Yeah. No, it's a great it's a great concept to to draw a bunch of talented people around you when we are in the business of understanding problems, human behavior. Yep psychology, things like that. And Sandy, you're involved in a pediatrician's perspective. Sounds like you told me before pushing the record button that you are retired, but you're still teaching and you're close to ending that assignment. Yes. Okay. What is the, what's your favorite thing you've experienced about being a pediatrician? The kids. Kids. Yep. Mm-hmm. You can have a bad day and you just get a smile from a toddler. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing like it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I find most of my joy today by my golden retriever. Who's like a child. He's one and a half years old. I was going to say. <clears throat> so. And he's a diva. He's a diva. Yeah. Update. He, Odin <laughs> was in a, in a dog show last weekend and he did really good. And um, he placed second out of three wow. dogs. <laughs> But we just say he plays second and leave that's it to a, the imagination of the that's people. Exactly right. Like he's really important. Like out of 20, yeah, he finished <laughs> second. But we took video. Um, we just had a blast and uh, we're glad to have him home because we spent a whole week without him. Uh, both of my daughters, Sandy, are out of the house. They live in New York and Georgia. Do you know what? I looked at my daughter, Kaylin, her weather forecast down in Augusta, Georgia. Her, her five-day forecast, it's in the 80s all week. Yeah, I talked to a friend out in California yesterday, and it's like it's 75 or 80. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just said to my wife, we have a family group text, and I said, why are we not living in Georgia? Because you're... August. You're not living in... <laughs> Sandy, that's what I like about you. You help balance my perspective, because right now I'm very cynical when it comes to... I'm trying to endure the long haul on Michigan winter, but today it's like... I see it melting. It's 40 plus degrees. It's going to get up to 50 by, I think, Tuesday. Should see most of this white stuff go away. And then it leads to a bunch of brown stuff. <laughs> and if you have a dog, that brown stuff is in your yard. Yeah. And I got to go clean it up while my dog watches. Okay, let's not make this conversation dirty. <laughs> We are going to be talking uh, this conversation in two, or Sandy suggested possibly 10 parts. <laughs> the digital dilemma that we are referring to has to do with how digital technology has influenced culture, how it's influenced us individually, and what's happening, and what will project what we could anticipate continue happening. 
Disclaimer, as always, we are not experts except for Sandy. She is an expert in the field. I am not an expert. But we are having a conversation. We're not accusing. We are not indicting. We're not blowing a whistle. We are just very mindful of what um, digital consumption, I've heard it called digital heroin um, in certain circles, what is happening to us mentally, physically, psychologically, you know, relationally with the advent of social media? And, uh, you know, what do we want to consider in our conversation? So um, I do want to reference that there's a book called Glowing Kids. And there's a documentary on Netflix called The Social Media Dilemma that I have personally watched and I've read the book. And um, this is just some source. You could go online and Google this and get a plethora of information. So you can self-source your own um, knowledge about this topic. We're just going to share a little tidbit today, but I wanted to just maybe get an impression from both of you about the advent of digital technology in your own life. Think back, Rob, way long <laughs> ago. What do you remember was the advent of technology in your life? Uh, shortly after the extinction of the dinosaurs, <laughs> I remember... I remember early on, I was in college, and Sandy and I bought our first word processor that replaced the typewriter, and it was wonderful because we could, um, when I say we, I mean her because I can't type a lick, but she could type my papers and make mistakes or change something just in a blink of an on a, eye. On a typewriter? No, on a word processor. Oh, a computer. Uh, yes, it yeah. was it was a it was a predecessor to some of the computers early on, the word processors. They were moving um, at lightning speed to replace the typewriter. Yeah. I go back further than that. I remember our first TV. You know, mm. as families were just starting to get TVs in the early sixties. And then I remember real big technology of watching um, Neil Armstrong land on the moon. And we had a big reel-to-reel tape recorder. Wow. And I audio recorded that whole experience. That's cool. Wow. So, you know, I'm I'm far younger than the two people at the the table today. I'm just a youngster. Uh But I do remember um, we had a big TV in our family room in Kansas City. I grew up in Kansas City. And I remember the remote control. It didn't come with a remote control, so I created one, my foot. Yeah. And I would lay there, and I would just reach up with my foot, and I was able to turn the knob to one of three channels. Nice. Right? Do you remember the days where when programming, like if you fell asleep watching a program, um, and then you woke up to what? Test patterns. Test patterns, but mm-hmm. it was it was like the national anthem or something mm-hmm. would be the last thing done. Yeah. In the American flag, and then the test signal would like be static on your on your television. Yeah, for hours. For hours and hours. And then for me, remember the advent of cable television. Yes. Moving from I don't know, satellites that were just you know, like a mm-hmm. an antenna signal to get your three channels. Cable would now bring in a lot more options. Totally. 
And I remembered they dug up trenches in our backyards. We lived on a cul-de-sac, between two cul-de-sacs. So they dug up and they put these little green boxes in you know the backyard and found out that people were getting cable. Well, we didn't have a subscription, but I could open up the box and and take <laughs> take Joe Schmo's cable and plug it into mine. And all of a sudden we had cable. I was a devious child. Bad boy, I, bad boy. What you going to do? Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden we were exposed to more channels. And then eventually, of course, we got cable. But yeah, that I mean, gaming started early. Pac-Man or, you know, yeah. Pong. Remember Pong? I do. Yeah. I mean, that, that's talk about the dinosaur age. Oh, my word. Of technology. What else happened as technology continued to influence your own lives, your own homes? What do you remember? I remember it infiltrating the family to the point where we're now dependent on it. You know, all of a sudden it's like, I'm not tethered to the landline anymore. I have this cell phone in my pocket. Then the other thing I distinctly remember is frequently looking at the smartphones and thinking there is more computing power in my palm, uh, in the palm of my hand than there was that sent Neil Armstrong to, to the, the moon. moon. Exactly. Yeah. And that was mind boggling, you know, on my desktop or my laptop or iPad or cell phone that just, that just is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sandy, do you remember your first cell phone? Yes. In fact, I kept it for many years. Mm-hmm. It was an old flip phone. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, what was it, 100 minutes a month of cell phone time. Right. And I had a pager, so if somebody needed to reach me, they could reach me on the pager, and I would call back. Right. I just didn't want to be that available. Oh, okay. And I kept a flip phone for many years, giving it to my kids. When mm-hmm. they got to be the age where I thought they needed a cell phone, Right. I wanted them to have something that um, they could contact me, but they couldn't access the internet. Right. Yes, smartphone or dumb phone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and then too many changes in carriers and right. finally became obsolete. I remember, um, I live in Battle Creek, and at the time, it was probably 1994, 95, I remember uh, working in Kalamazoo, driving back to Battle Creek, but I stopped by, you know, a cell phone store over in Kalamazoo, and I got my very first cell phone, flip phone, um, Motorola, probably. Mm-hmm. And I remember driving on 94 back to Battle Creek, and I remember calling my best friend in Kansas City, Gary Navzinger. And I thought it was so cool. I could call him in my car, and he was in Kansas City, and I was just overwhelmed. That's where my drug addiction started, like my digital addiction started. I was caught. I was hooked. Mm -hmm. It had me early on because I'm a – I like technology. I, I like innovation. Like that was part of my life. And so I was an easy catch. Even before the cell phones, I remember a friend who was a professional businesswoman and she had a phone in her car. Yeah. As a precursor before it. Oh, like those box phones? Yeah. We, yeah. Those big bag phones. The we big had bag one of those. Or yeah. she, had it, she had it hardwired right into the car. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah, so yeah, it yeah. was, I can remember us and our kids calling people while we're driving. How crazy is that? Yeah, now it, we, was, it was the important people like Sandy, you know, doctors, right. lawyers, <laughs> right, politicians. Insurance, the insurance people. You know. Yeah. No, Sandy, we're not categorizing you with politicians. <laughs> I apologize. Thank you. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's when we talk about acclimation or conditioning, it happens slowly, and it progresses slowly, and then sometimes you don't realize that you're becoming what somebody else wants you to become in order to continue using their product. I think it happens slowly for. I don't know how to say this. It's it happens slowly for just the average us average people. The technology and the science behind it is lightning fast. Mm-hmm. And it develops so fast that, you know, ethics and other challenges or considerations don't even have time to keep up. Absolutely. I mean, the the concept in that documentary that I referenced the social media dilemma on Netflix, it does. And and Sandy's got some stats that she's going to share later in our conversation. But the reality is the um, exponential growth of just the processor technology has exponentially in a crazy way over years, decades has now surpassed human knowledge for sure. Right. And AI, right. Um, artificial intelligence is driving a lot of what we're talking about today. Logarithms, you know, things that are designed, created by man, but operating on their own to be able to follow what it is that you're doing on social media. What pictures are you looking at? Right. What's your trend and how it's adjusting to what you're looking at. And it's kind of, in a sense, kind of feeding into this animal that we're going to be exploring. Well, the internet has basically stripped the world of privacy. To your point, we have, they track everything. Mm -hmm. And, and um, we were joking, I don't know, before COVID, we were out camping with our friends and one of our, calls them chosen family members was talking about she just referenced something and the next few minutes it showed up on her cell phone. And I thought she was being kind of paranoid about it. So I teased her about how paranoid she was. And then another conversation and that showed up on everybody's cell phone. Yeah. I'm like, (laughs) you know. I remember early days of Facebook. Um, I went on a mission trip to Guatemala and we, we were people from around the Midwest. So we decided to join Facebook and then we would have a group and we could share what we needed to, to prepare for this mission trip. I start doing a little bit of research. All of a sudden, all of my ads show up in Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> Scary. <laughs> no, that's Spanish. <laughs> no speak Spanish. Um, when, when I think about other parts of, um, media or the development of technology we talked to you know pre-record we talked about music and you know i remember you know literally playing you know vinyl Mm -hmm. albums on a record player that was the only way to get music and then the advent of you know eight track tapes cassette tapes cd now ipods right i remember i was going on a mission trip 
to China in 2005, and I remembered getting whatever the iPod was called that was like the little music oh, yeah. player, mm-hmm. but it held like 10,000 songs. And I remembered thinking my 13-hour flight to Beijing was going to be like forever. So I, I don't know how many songs I had, but I had all my all my songs. And um, that, that lasted quite a while. But here I had gone from vinyl to this powerful memory-based device that was very portable. Battery lasted a long time in a, in a span of like 10 years. Yeah. I mean, we're talking crazy advancement and technology. And again, I'm recognizing how quickly I, you know, like I fell into it. The dependence or the desire was there and it shaped and formed me. Now, I think it's important to state that there is a lot of good that comes out mm-hmm. of using technology. There's no question. We're not here to argue that. Mm-hmm. Um, let me read a quote off of a website I, I found um, in preparation for this conversation. Although the majority of people's use of social media is non-problematic, there is a small percentage of users that become addicted to social networking sites and engage in excessive compulsive use. In fact, psychologists estimate that as many as 5 to 10% of Americans meet the criteria of social media addiction today. Social media addiction is a behavioral addiction. It is characterized as being overly concerned about social media, driven by an uncontrollable urge to log on or to use social media and to devote so much time and effort to social media that it impairs other important areas of life. So there's a, there's a statement about the use of social media today affecting 5 to 10% of Americans. I would think it was more. I would too. I would three. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. When you're looking at the process addictions versus the chemical addictions, it's a little bit harder. Um, you know, I think, I think what we're seeing is specifically in the United States, we're not going to go down in history as a moderate people. We generally are over the top. And the, and the positive aspects of technology is just like anything else. It has to be done in moderation. And I don't, I don't know that that's what we're doing. Exactly. And, you know, we've talked about music. Um, let's shift over. You talked about computers. Right? I, I remember that. I remember my wife back when she was getting her doctorate in grain science at Kansas State University. She was doing her research, those those floppy disks. Yeah. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I do. And what was the operating system that we had to use? It was, I forget what it was called, but, yeah, on the screen, it wasn't pretty. It was, like, black with white yeah. digital. It was very boring. Not nearly as sexy as it is today, right? Oh. Um, the reality, though, is social media is really the top mind, you know, blowing entity right now and i've just listed a few here you know the application and use of digital technology facebook you mentioned that sandy instagram now facebook has three billion monthly active users today instagram about one billion now three billion people think about that how many people do we have on the planet 
it's just approaching eight, isn't it? Like seven point something. something. Like, is that one third of the planet is connected to Facebook? Yeah. Okay, that's wow. That's crazy. Yeah. And the people, and again, and referencing the documentary, and again, I'm not advocating that you know there's a conspiracy going on, but the documentary has these ex Google, ex Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest talking about their involvement in the development of the platform and its effect on themselves and what they knew would be the effect on the user. Yeah, trying to um, solicit their online experience and keep them online. Exactly. The intent is, I think the statement in the documentary was, we are the product. Yeah. They're selling something and we are the the difference in, I mean, the platform gets paid by the advertiser. Mm-hmm. We are the ones who respond to that, right? We're going online. And in the documentary, there's this fictional family that's played out throughout the documentary. And the the story is not unusual. It's not uncommon. But when we talk about social media, talk about, are you guys connected to social media? I am. Mm-hmm. I am. Talk a little bit about your social media usage and what it's been like for you and what you've noticed. Well, I belong to, most of my usage is in groups. Mm-hmm. So I belong to a whole group of mama docs, women oh. physicians mm-hmm. who camp who hike, who do crafts, um, pediatricians, uh, COVID-19 groups. So there are, that w- that's most of my social media use. Mm-hmm. Mine would be work. I, I generally don't, I don't use it personally to connect with family or friends. Um, you know, the Facebook page I have, I use uh, like to promote the, um, from time to time, you know, our podcast, the podcast, world domination, world domination, <laughs> LinkedIn, uh, would be another one that I use. So I, for me personally, I have tried to limit it to work, mm-hmm. not so much personal. Okay. So how have the two of you been able to moderate your usage, your social media usage? Is that based on a strategy? Is it based on some other feature of who you are? doesn't sound like you guys are addicted. I think it's a great question. I, I think for me, if I'm honest, it's probably been influenced by, by what I'm witnessing happening to others like children and teens and parents you know there's a quote that says technology has the ability to bring those who are far away close and make those who are close far away and I think there's some reality in that and so um and and I'm probably just old enough to where you know, I do have memories of people having to talk to one another yeah. and not text and not hide behind social media for conflict resolution and things like that. So f- I think that stepping back and looking at it, 
my usage is dictated by what I see are more of the drawbacks than the advantages of this powerful reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure where my limits came from. I mean, while I was working, it was just, you know, you just don't have access to a cell phone unless it's a medical emergency, someone trying to reach you. Um, uh, so it was just little bits here and there. I think, it, I guess accessibility would be the word. Mm-hmm. It was not as easily accessible as it seems to be now. Um, kids in school, kids in class are accessible as far as their phones, and um, they're constantly checking and scrolling through. Yeah. Um, so I think that's very different. Um, Speak to that a little bit more about the constantly scrolling through. and. Um, I had no idea that it was as bad as it was. I mean, my kids are all, you know, mid-20s and above. So we kind of escaped um, the real social media dilemma that um, I think parents now are facing. But um, kids are getting their self-esteem and their sense of worth from how many likes they get on social media. And I thought it was just their network of friends, you know, maybe a hundred friends, but no, half the people who are commenting or liking are people they don't even know. Mm -hmm. It just gets spread throughout the internet and through social media. And they are constantly I guess, looking for that affirmation, digital Mm -hmm. affirmation, just by scrolling through their phone. Um, And if they post a picture to Instagram and then a girl will say, oh, maybe they think I'm fat. Mm -hmm. And um, so if they don't get likes, they're taking it down. They're using these filters to change them, how they look. And um, they're constantly looking for that that digital affirmation. Mm. And it connects to the way the brain is wired. The, mm-hmm. the brain's two primary responsibilities, in, in my mind, is to, to protect and then to connect. To, to Sandy's point, it's like there is a world out there that is exponentially grown. It's no longer just a small circle of friends where you can manage that group of people uh, in terms of connecting and identifying and you know, relating to social media has exploded that. So now, you know, at one point, I remember when my son put out an invitation on his Facebook page. And I'm like, you have almost a thousand, quote, friends on your Facebook page. I didn't sign up to throw a birthday party for a thousand people. (laughs) my closest friends yes you know and he's like well don't worry dad they probably won't show up it's like well okay but that really wasn't the intent Mm -hmm. right this was supposed to be friends your friends family etc not an invitation to the world sort of his world Mm -hmm. so to speak at that time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sandy you mentioned the the reality of um, how this is affecting our, our younger teenagers or kids. And uh, being in uh, pediatrics, uh, you, you're very aware of the developmental stages a child goes through. 
And there was one scene in the documentary of that that young adolescent girl, maybe you know, twelve years old, and she took a, a what I'm assuming was a Snapchat mm-hmm. picture, and she had only gotten three likes in this fictional story, right? And then she realized that she needed more likes, and so she re- she deleted that post and she retook another picture and added more filters, and then posted that new posting. And it got more comments, more likes. But I remembered as she later looked in the mirror, her own mirror in the bathroom, and just gazed at herself, she looked confused. Like this social media validation wasn't solving the problem that she didn't really have an answer for. She just knew in that moment there was pain. Could could you possibly speak to what that that uh, scene was telling there was the comment from them from the movie the snapchat dysmorphism syndrome Mm. so kids who at that age are struggling with issues related to body image anyway yeah um these kids are wanting to go see plastic surgeons at middle school age to make them look like everybody else that they see on social media mm-hmm. because my nose is too big. My chin sticks out. Yeah. Um, they only, their view is perfection via a Snapchat or Instagram filter. Right. So in, in other words, what you're saying, it's warping, it's warping their sense of reality. Mm-hmm. That's scary. Well, it's warping their perception of what is true. Yeah. What what authoritative message, going back to the concept of maturity, what authoritative messages are defining for me who I am and where my value is? And if the authoritative message is my media account and those that are on my media account affirming or disaffirming, like there was one comment in that fictional story you know, your ears are too big. And so here she was taking a hit, you know, in terms of, oh, you like it, you know, you're beautiful, you're gorgeous, I love you. And then boom, somebody, kind of like cyber bullying or sarcasm says something like your ears are too big. That stops the whole thing. And now she's left reeling again, not getting what she really needs, not even being able to define what her need is. No, and there's something in the brain called negativity bias. So if that theory is true, then they're looking, they're going to ignore all of the positive affirmation and focus on the negative affirmation. And to your point, they're giving that influence, that authority over people that don't even know them. Listen to what you just said. They are trained from an early age to give over their responsibility for themselves to somebody else who then gets permission to shape who they see themselves to be. Yeah. Is that, did I say that correctly? I think so. It warps their sense of reality to Sandy's point, their body image and everything else is wrapped up into this perfection. I don't like the way my ears look or my eyes or things that are beyond our control that really there's nothing wrong with your eyes or your ears. Yeah. Where is even a parent's intent to affirm their children? I've got two daughters, right? I'm a feminist. <laughs> I, yeah. I just love my girls, right? I yeah. want them to succeed in life. And they're gorgeous. But 
you know, hopefully my relationship with them over time, the affirming messages gave them the ability to trust that versus trusting how many likes did I get? Yeah. You know, and, uh, but ultimately I want them as I continue to be a parent to my now 25 and 22 year old daughters is to continue to encourage them to find their identity in a way that's healthy. Yeah. And to understand who created them I and think- for what purpose they were created and to align themselves with those sources of inspiration. And those are typically going to be found in their relationship with God, with their relationship with people who are affirming and that they can distinguish between the negative influences versus the positive. And that's a level of maturity. Yeah. I think of those as substantial. Yeah. You know, drawing your sense of worth and identity from substantial sources. Oh, I like that. Not social sources. Okay, that's like my brain just <laughs> went like, I love it. Substantial sources versus social yeah. sources. So name some substantial sources that we should find validation from. Uh, God. Um, faith is a substantial source and what the Lord says about us. I think people who care, um, healthy people who care, uh, ideally it would be family, healthy family context. That would be substantial. But if my family isn't healthy, then I have to, I have to give other individuals in my life who are healthier, um, input into that and, and believe their report, if you will. Like it was to, to learn how to believe. Yeah. That uh, report. And to recognize, yeah, you know, the affirmation of people who are in life or doing life with me. A thousand friends on a Facebook or a thousand likes, whatever it may be, those folks are not doing life with me. Mm-hmm. There might be a couple of salt and peppered in there, right? That are hooked into that. But the truth of the matter is those that are closest to me that have health and uh, influence, what do they say? How do they respond? How do they experience me? And those are the substantial aspects, you know, um, self-governance. I, I have a sense of value, um, okay, just a moment. This is just a big topic and Sandy, I want you to come in here too. (laughs) I want to just speak for a moment. Most likely our listeners are adults. I doubt we are popular enough to make it to <laughs> the adolescent scene. So if you're listening and you're an adult, if you just heard what Dr. Rob just said, how do I become that substantial influence? Because I know what it was like to feel the dissidence between my desire for my kids and what I thought my kids wanted for me how to be not an overbearing substantial um, influence. What if, what if our listeners are like shook by this? How would we encourage an adult parent, for example, to be substantial? I guess um, parents need to reach out in love and in a non-judgmental way. I think many of these situations kind of result from a crisis 
where a parent all of a sudden sees a text or something like that. Um, and I think it's a wake-up call to the parent. And um, they need to try and confront their kids in a loving manner, non-judgmental, um, and try to ensure them that, you know, I've got these big arms to hug you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my world revolves around you. You don't need the affirmation of these people you don't know. Um, I'm here, and God has bigger arms than I do. Mm. And that's where your affirmation needs to come from. Yes. I like what she said. I think, too, um, intentionality versus reaction. To your point, Sandy, I want to, as an adult, collaborate with my kids and work together to mitigate the potential threat of social media so that I can mitigate the negative effects of social media and then try to capitalize on some of the more positive aspects of the, of the medium. Yes. That's a good question. Well, I, I, I even think there was a pause there just because of the brevity of the question. Yeah. And I think that it's okay for you, our listener, just to allow yourself to pause I don't think we're talking about reacting. I think we're talking about acting. And it takes an astute person, as we always say on this program, to be mindful, to assess, to be careful in your own assessment. Take time to get away with this thought. You know, maybe find, again, we always say find trusted allies that you can sit with and ask good questions and explore what does this mean to you currently? Where have you been? What journey have you been on? And ultimately, what journey do you want to be on? And uh, because this problem is not going away. This problem is here. We want to bring a mindfulness to it. And it, it is 40 minutes after. We're already done. Oh, wow. And I knew that would be the case. But we, as we said, this could go up to 10 parts. We don't know. <laughs> but what we're going to do is we're going to pick up this conversation where we kind of left it off do some review points, but we want to tackle this next point where measuring the consequences of the use of digital technology, specifically understanding what is dependency, what does it mean to be addicted? And we want to talk about the systems in the body that God created that, that allow the, the, the perpetual use of digital media and how it's literally shaping the brain and thus defining behavior. Is that Am I getting that somewhat right? I think so. Yeah. That's our next podcast. That's our, yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna to solve that problem in 30 <laughs> minutes. But we want, you, yeah, we we want in, in two weeks, we will produce and publish that conversation. Uh, but we hope this has been meaningful. But Sandy, um, Rob, again, what are some last thought takeaways that you would want to share before we end our time together? Um, I would say to parents, Keep in mind that um, children are always watching you. They may be three or four and don't have a cell phone, but maybe watch yours. So it's your own consumption of media that is an example um, and modeling behavior to your kids. Mm -hmm. Um, We've all been out to restaurants where we've looked at a table and every adult is looking at a screen. Mm -hmm. 
and a child is sitting there playing with a straw Mm -hmm. um, and no attention, no conversation. Um, So really think hard about your own use, um, misuse, consumption of media and social media and what type of example you're setting for your own kids. Brilliant. I think so too. Brilliant. Dr. Rob, what are your, your closing thoughts for today's conversation? I would say that there's no denying the benefits of technology, but I would, I would echo what Sandy articulated and say that as with all things in life, moderation is the key. You have to pay attention and have somewhat of an honest assessment about how this technology is, is um, influencing or manipulating your behaviors, your attitudes, yeah. your personalities. Yeah. Or personality. Yeah, it's a complex issue. Um, I know that last night I, I have an iPhone. No no slide on um, Android users, right? Um, but there is an option under settings for the iPhone. I can go to screen time. And I did this last night. I, I just looked through my, my screen time usage. And um, I was able to get perspective on specifically what apps I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. I'm not mature enough for social media. No, I don't think I am. Either. I'm not. I'm not mature. <laughs> I confess it. I'm 56, but I'm not mature enough because when I get on it, I fall back into the pit <laughs> and I'm not healthy enough to be on social media. But I do look at my usage and I, I'm aware of what I'm doing. I mean, if you look at this table at this little studio, we've got three MacBook Pros. We've yep. got this recording device. I've got a phone in my hand. We're, we're surrounded by media and digital assets. It's being aware. Sandy, thanks so much for being Thank you. here. Um, we, we look forward to continuing this conversation yes. next time. Um, we know there's a way, right? We know that there is an intent to do good and to find the right balance in life that produces life and, you know, maturity And we hope that that, as you're listening, this is helping. So again, thanks, guys, for the conversation. And for you listening, have a great day, wherever that may lead you. Thanks. Thanks.